0: I want you to make me mad and the young officer, fairly expensive ship model off of his desk onto the floor, which did make him mad. The intention there was to put you in pressure situations so that you can actually experience what that's like. And that was a hallmark of the program and military training in general. My experience with it, it is putting you in situations to push you.
1: I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question What would you do if you were starting today? So Rick, would you introduce yourself as far as like your name and what do you even do? So Rick McGuire, uh, I am
0: an executive leadership coach and strategic advisor for leaders of scaling businesses uh, that uh, have a purpose and a desire to create something that's meaningful for them in their future.
1: That's awesome. And who is your ideal client or person that you work with?
0: It's interesting. I, your question, I just spent the past two days, most of the past two days working with a client to specifically answer those questions. Who's the core ideal customer? What makes them that? And how do you, what is it about what you do that is compelling for them, makes you a good fit for them as well as them a good fit for you? My ideal client or customer is a a person who is in leadership in an organization, often in small to smaller to mid-market or startup businesses. It's the CEO, the president, the owner, the person who's in the most senior leadership role. In organizations where I'm doing executive coaching and not coaching the leadership team or the business as a whole, it's someone in a senior leadership position in a business, uh, typically at the vice president c suite level not the ceo either of those cases those leaders are people who have an aspiration to grow themselves and you know their business or their role in their business to have greater impact to create something bigger for themselves in a business context i work best with organizations who are have a purpose behind what they do it's not solely around making a good business So in some sense, you could think of them as people who are wanting to do well and do good, people who have a hunger for learning and growth personally and for their teams and want to create an organization where people can thrive and who are creative, want to be creative in their own right. So they're not people who are sort of just looking for the formula or looking to sort of fill out. You know the spreadsheets or the structures or whatever what have you. they do they do want a system, but they want to work with someone who can co-create that with them in a way that fits them and is is right for them.
1: also, you're my executive coach, which has been for me like beyond helpful. And so I met you so we're both you're in Bainbridge Island. I'm in Seattle, Washington. They're both very close to each other. I met you at a co-working space. create thirty three you're doing a free office hour and I The reason why I was even interested for me, like with Growth Hit, which is my growth marketing agency at the time, I think we had maybe four or five people. And as like this quote unquote leader or CEO, I kept hitting a wall with like tough decisions and like questions I'm supposed to have the answer to and don't necessarily have the answer to. Do, to. And so I'm, I'm like looking for solutions. I'm like reading books, I'm listening to podcasts. And one kind of common theme for me was, wow, like all these people that I look up to, they're saying one thing and they're like, oh, I had a great session with my executive coach. It totally changed my strategy. Like, oh, you know, getting an executive coach has been the best investment that I've made. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know what an executive coach truly is, but I, I'm very interested. So it was very serendipitous. I was like, create 33. It's like, Oh, Rick's doing free office hours. If Everybody wants to meet with them. I think I signed up immediately and you and I did an hour long session. And after it, I feel like I walked out of it with like a, an MBA. And it was just kind of mind boggling. And the, the thing that was helpful for me, like I love frameworks, I love structure. And we'll kind of get into your background with like an engineering mind. And for me, that was super helpful. And I, I'm probably on the smaller side. Like our, our company now is like, 10 people, but you've come in with us and helped us with strategy and also with kind of OKRs and and scaling up. But like, what are like those main benefits that like people walk away with after kind of working with you or, or, you know, whether it's like one session or it's like working with you for a year? Is it getting that confidence or is it just that strategic advisory that, that helps them?
0: Being able to see more clearly what it is that you're working with in your business, in your case, to scale your business outwardly with your experience, you're taking on something new you haven't gone through before. (laughs) And so that, you know, that's something you have to grow into in, in a way inwardly. I often end up speaking with people, you know, if you want to do differently out in the world, you're probably going to have to be a different person in some ways. So in the coaching world, we talk about inner and outer work. In terms of benefits, it really is what are people coming and looking for when they uh, either know they want to talk to a coach or they know they want to talk to someone who can help them scale their business. Typically, people are coming in because, you know, as you're relating your situation, they're facing some questions, some decisions. They have to navigate their way through, you know, they're feeling a, a need to want to Get that right, or to work that out, and you looking for some perspective on that. How is it done? How do I do it? How do I do it in a way that you know is going to get me uh, what I want? If you're a learner like you are, Jim, you've read some things, you've looked at people who've been successful at it, and they're typically describing to you some model, some framework, some uh, way of you know, addressing that consideration. How do I make good hiring choices? When should I add this position in my organization? do I have the right strategy? Lots of questions that are like that. What they're needing in a sense is to be able to put that into some context that makes sense in terms of how they think about their business or how they think about their role or what their company is doing from a, a leadership perspective in a larger organization and asking, how is it that I can grow to be more confident and capable of bringing myself to that challenge? So when I talk about uh, leadership or executive coaching in the context of leadership, I talk about it as coordinating action to create a future you care about that doesn't exist yet. So you have to take some action. You have to do something that's going to create what you want. If you're building a company, you have a vision for the company that you want to create. You have a vision for what that looks like and what you're working out is what's the path to do that. And then how do I bring myself to do that right as a leader and and particularly if that role is new or you don't have experience at it or it's a step up for you or a step bigger for you then it's going to lead you to a place where you're going to have to develop yourself you're going to experience okay what are when i step into this how do i how do i react how do i respond to that situation and that's where what you know coaching can do is really a partnership to help you see those things more clearly and bring more of yourself to be successful in the setting that you're in.
1: Yeah, no, and the thing that I've really liked is you do a good job of being this objective party that comes in and helps with the strategic layer, but then also you can give frameworks and guide on how to actually execute to, to get to that, which you hit on frameworks, which I want to get to in a second. The thing that's fascinating, so I was creeping on your LinkedIn and I, it was really cool because your background's fascinating. It's like Navy, Stanford, HP, Microsoft, executive, executive coach. So there, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. But when I was looking at the Navy role, your job title or the description was nuclear trained submarine warfare officer which sounds pretty impressive. I don't even know what that means, but I'm with, the, with, with risk of sounding quite ignorant. I'm picturing, you know, Crimson Tide, Hunt for Red October. You're in a high pressure situation about hitting a, a big red button, but like, talk to me, like, what was that experience like at the Navy? And then like, I can't imagine the leadership and training you got in that, that have, has translated throughout your career.
0: Yeah. You mentioned uh, Hunt for Red October, that a uh, film was uh, filmed on or at least uh, focused on in part of the uss alabama which is the ssbn ballistic missile submarine 731 and i did my submarine qualification to get my dolphins submariner's equivalent of your pilot's wings you have to go operate the submarine under a series of conditions under the observation of another commanding officer other than yours, and I did mine on the Alabama, the USS Alabama, which was a sister ship of the one that I I was on, which was the USS Henry Jackson I entered into the Navy through a a program to recruit engineers outside of ROTC and the Naval Academy for service in submarines, specifically be to be trained to operate a nuclear reactor. In the Navy, he's got there's a lot of history around the admiral's name is Hyman Rickover. He started the nuclear Navy program in the early days of atomic energy. He was also the chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission. He was this curmudgeonly older gentleman by the time I came along. I was one of the last of the um, officers to have to interview with him, to be, or officer candidates to interview with him to be entered into the, admitted to the program. He had made a promise to Congress that he would personally interview any officer who would have supervisory responsibility over a Navy nuclear plant. And he kept that promise. And he was famous for basically trying to screw with you. <laughs> so there's all kinds of uh, Rick over interview stories of people who went through this program. And, you know, he would basically, one of the ones is he, he, he said to one young candidate, you know, I want you to make me mad. And. The young officer, fairly expensive ship model off of his desk onto the floor, which did make him mad. And so there's the the intention there was to put you in pressure situations so that you can actually experience what that's like. And that that was a hallmark of the program and military training in in, in general. My experience with it is it, it is putting you in situations to push you and to expose if you will you know those reactive tendencies that might not serve you well under a a critical condition critical situation and so what i took away from that is just the value of being you know put in situations where you can learn how you respond under pressure you can practice what it means to be to think clearly and to act intentionally under pressure and from a leadership perspective, you can do that in a way that your presence is, and that's an overused term, executive presence, but your presence, how you show up in that situation is one that can serve and bring out the best in the people around you. And Jim, the, the biggest thing there is you can talk about that and you can talk about that and you can talk about that, but to uh, to go through it, and I didn't realize the ways in which it was benefiting me but to go through it that earlier in, in my professional life was pretty significant i subsequently had you know i've had meetings at microsoft and other places you know where some of the people who were with me in the meeting were like oh, that was a terrible meeting you know and i was like yeah it was a bad meeting right people were yelling at each other and upset right? but you know it's not something i haven't experienced and been in before and so how do you hold your hold yourself under those conditions is, is and, and again, think critically and clearly is something that was huge in that, in that time.
1: And what's interesting is like, as a business owner, as an executive, like, how do you get those reps to like practice those high stakes pressure situations? Because you can read case studies, you can like do projections and whatever, but when it really happens, it's like, and it's your first time. It's like, you don't know how you react till you're there. Like one example is obviously with, with COVID going on in March, like our business, we lost half of our revenue. And you were actually really instrumental where I was like, okay, I've never been through this before. I have what I call a phantom board where I'm like, let me talk to people th- whose opinions I really value to, to go through that. And so obviously we came out of it, it, it worked out well, but it's like, you know, it would have been nice to be a little bit more prepared and not have to have a high pressure st- Situation on the fly, but but I don't know. I, I that makes total sense.
0: Yeah, and I think the the idea of getting reps, you know, just just giving yourself learning experiences. I, I think what you can do, short of going through an experience like that, you know, is learn to pay attention and to seek and understand. Your own reactive tendencies. I had an executive coach at, at Microsoft. Neil McCarthy is his name. He ended up he has his own story, but he ended up doing executive coaching. But he was—I think he actually either ran or was a significant player in the the uh, mountaineering guide service on Mount Rainier. From Mount Rainier, you know, they take you up Mount Rainier. And he used to say, you know, the kind of reactions you get with people under stress on the side of a mountain. Are not dissimilar to the ones that you know people have when they get in a you know difficult, challenging situation in their business, so or their organization. So I would say, to the extent that you, like in your situation, you know what showed up for you when you're sort of under threat, right? and being able to say, "Am I responding to relieve my anxiety? Right, I'm uncomfortable. Is what I'm doing here about making me feel more comfortable or more in control?" Right Or more liked, or is it about doing something that is more creative and, and more intentional in response to what it is that I want for myself and for my business and for the people who you know I'm responsible for or for my team?
1: Yeah and it's it's like getting the reps to to kind of be self-aware and to be able to think and act clearly and decisively cuz it's like you know not going too high not going too low but maybe being in neutral but in a way that you can make the right decision but that's yeah I, I feel like you had quite a good training ground so you're you did the navy nuclear trained submarine warfare officer that then transitions into hp and microsoft and so tell me like you obviously did that and then you kind of went up the ranks to microsoft to be an executive what tenure were you there was that with gates and then into balmer or like kind of walk me through that transition from from navy to tech
0: Yeah, I left the Navy in uh, 1987, so I date myself here a bit. I wanted to go to graduate school. I got offered some interesting job opportunities coming out of the Navy. One of them was actually to be a client account executive with an advertising agency in Chicago, Leo Burnett. I think they still exist, but they were well-known in advertising. They tapped into junior military officers as client executives for precisely the same reason. They could stay cool under pressure. I didn't take that opportunity. I went to work for a company in Silicon Valley called Varian Associates. It's another uh, one of the companies that has a long history with um, Stanford, and they offered to pay for me to go to graduate school at Stanford. I I worked for the vice president of engineering for one of Varian's companies, specifically around research and development projects related to some of the technologies that they were doing. That, That division made night vision goggles for the military and some other things. And it was great education because I got to see, you know, some really high caliber people. Microsoft, you know, was a fantastic learning environment because you had so many, you know, smart, ambitious in a good way, you know, people who were wanting to create, right, new things. And the culture was such that, you really could have a conversation with just about anybody in Microsoft. I, I think I don't know if Tatiana Nadella still does this, but you know, Bill Gates used to have these Think Weeks where anybody could write a paper about something they thought Microsoft should be doing uh, or considering, and you know, Bill would read a bunch of them, and you'd get notes back if he thought your idea was a good one. And, you know, directing people to engage around that. So it was really, I found it to be a really creative environment. And then there was a season there where they did a significant amount of investment in leadership and talent development. You know, I was fortunate to be involved in that in some meaningful ways to me. So just maybe the lesson there is just really intentionally focusing on, you know, developing your capacity as a leader not just you personally but also your ability to think systemically and strategically your ability to right, operate in a larger scale to to sort of work in a disciplined way around a business so some really really formative experiences just back to the idea of reps you know, i got a lot of reps and i got a lot of experiences that you know shaped me some of not all of them were satisfying in the moment
1: so you're there in some like pretty formative and high growth years. Like as you're like watching and working with teams where like Bill Gates is the, the tip of the spear, what are some things from like a leadership and executive perspective you, you kind of learn by being on the ship that that he's driving? Like any main takeaways, good or bad? Because I know there's been like documentaries and books on his leadership style and things that worked really well, some things that were controversial, but like what what were your takeaways? The thing that
0: I most appreciated was just his, my observation was just the, the desire and capacity to step back and you know sort of think strategically and then be able to sort of be in how that gets um, translated into execution, uh, which I think is something that I see leaders who are growing or developing the ability to do. To sort of be right able to step out of the game for the moment and be on the sidelines, and then to step off the sidelines and you know be in the stands or the office and think about you know next game and the game after that and the season after that, and then be able to jump back in and be right in the middle of it. I think having an environment where you know hierarchy and things like that matter, but you're looking for you know talent and ideas, and those can come from anywhere. I think is significant. And I think uh, surrounding yourself with, you know, complementary skills, you know, in the season that when I was there, the season that Microsoft had, you know, operated, you know, really well was there was a strong perspective from a chief operating perspective. There was a strong sort of, you know, R and D execution perspective, strong financial perspective, you know, field engagement. You know, at that time, you know, Steve Ballmer was out sort of running the sales and marketing part of the company and i just think you have that team with really strong complementary right capabilities that is together moving the organization, you know, the company forward to its, toward its vision.
1: Yeah. The whole point is like, if I was starting today, so let's kind of talk about the executive coaching world, specifically like the frameworks you use. So we'll, we'll even pick my company apart. So growth hit, we're a growth marketing agency. We're like 10 people have like 15 clients We're very low seven figures. One of the things that I'm kind of always thinking through is like, How do I hold myself accountable? How do I like get this company to the next level? And so, one of the reasons like we've worked together is you really help by holding me accountable and how I should be going through this. So, like, we're looking at the next year, we're looking at planning, we're very interested in. The processes around scaling up. Actually, I guess even before we get into that, like to people that don't know, like what is this thing scaling up that people get so excited about? With like an an operating system for for founders, like what is it exactly, and what do people need to know about it? That's a good question.
0: So you know, left Microsoft, transitioned into doing this work myself from leadership coaching and doing strategic advisory work, which is how I ended up becoming a scaling up certified coach. And that was because I was working with leaders, you know, who were asking me about how to think about an approach to scaling and building essentially the operating system for their business that could support where they wanted to take it. And so Scaling Up is a framework that's based on a book written by a man named Vern Harnish. Book is called Scaling Up. He wrote an earlier one called The Rockefeller Habits, and I think Mastering the Rockefeller Habits it was a second version of it. And, and what it is, is it is a framework which is a structure for how you think about something, which is appealing to me because I came from a software place and the, the frameworks are well known in software, you know, Ruby on Rails, things like that are, are frameworks. And the framework for scaling a business, scaling up, is predicated on four. Decisions are four pillars, considerations are aspects that are important in the consideration of building and successfully operating any business. And they are people, strategy, execution, and cash or finances. And, And to that, the Scaling Up framework treats leadership in the context of people. And I pull that out and have a specific focus on leadership. Around as we spoke, coordinating action. And then the way you do that in a business is by thinking about people, right people, right seats in the bus, right structures, you know, right incentives, right managers. How do you build that people? Are all the people in the business happy and engaged? And would you bring them back into the business in the future? Uh, Knowing what you would you bring them back into the business now, knowing what you know now (laughs) and where you're going in the future? Uh, Strategy is about creating a unique and valuable position in the marketplace. And how do you how do you do that? And is it returning? Is it bringing you, right, you know, industry leading or segment leading returns, right? Um, Execution is how you take your strategy and put it into action consistently and predictably. So you're extracting the most efficiency and value from what you're doing. And the things that operate your business are running without drama. And cash is all about: Are you managing your finances and thinking about the financial aspects of the business that are producing the uh, producing for you the most financial return and also the most? Think about it as optionality. If you run a well managed business from a cash perspective, then you have the you have the capacity to fund growth uh, organically internally. And if you want to fund growth in advance of your ability to generate the cash to invest in it, you have the ability to have a A a good conversation about how the returns in your business justifying right growing it right in advance of what it's going to turn out in profit, right? And you see that all over the place in in businesses. It's a structure, it's a framework, it's a set of uh, tools that you use in order to essentially build this system and build the capability and maturity of the leadership team over time to operate on the business, to allow it to to grow successfully. So think of it as it gives you the the ability to sort of lay down the right highway to drive the size of the business bus that you want to be able to drive on it where you want to go.
1: So there's four phases. It's like people, strategy, execution, cash. And what's really cool for me is within each of those there are clear frameworks to execute on those so like with with people that I love is this these like accountability charts it's like maybe it's an executive that owns a line item on the strategy you have something that's really difficult but doing the kind of one-page strategic plan that when done is like so empowering execution I actually like we have everybody print out the rockefeller habits checklist and we're like working through that and the thing that's been a game changer for us is having each person be able to quantify at the end of the week if they had a successful week. Like, so for me as like the the CEO, I'm like, did I have over two meetings with a qualified lead? Because I, for us, it's kind of a leading indicator for success. And then on the and it's, and it's amazing because what's nice too, like as I'm trying to manage a team and motivate people when we, at the start of next week, we're like, hey, Hub, last week go, how is your metric? I don't have to be this disciplinarian. It's like people can, hold themselves accountable. It's like, hey, I hit my goal. I didn't hit my goal. And it's it's just a really great way to to drive the ship. And I didn't know this until a few years in. I wish I would have had that earlier. And I don't want to sleep on the cash section because as like a boot shop founder. I literally almost didn't read this one because the, the question I'll get to is how to start with this. But like with cash, there's this formula of your cash conversion cycle. Now, if, you, if you're VC backed and you're rolling in, in money, it, maybe it's not as much of a priority. But for us, you know, changing how we invoice changing how we pay had a huge impact on how we could get vendors and how we could hire. So it's it's so powerful but honestly it is overwhelming because in addition to trying to implement it like you're trying to run a company, you're trying to hire, keep clients happy. So like where should people start? Is it as obvious as like that's a dumb question. Jim just do it in the order of people, then strategy, then execution or cash? Or like how do you figure out like what's the first thing to dip your toe into the waters of
0: I start, you know, sort of begin at the beginning, which is, you know, let's do, and I didn't do it with you because it was just initial conversation, but what I'm doing is I'm sort of assessing. I'm trying to get a sense for, you know, where are you with respect to these different considerations and in terms of your growth and scale journey, what, in terms of where you are and what's most needed now to move you forward, because it is a growth into maturity over time, and then... Typically with a leader and a leadership team is wanting to give them you know, some backdrop on the framework as a whole. And then what for organizations that are already moving in flight, you know, what typically becomes first is getting that handful of priorities clear about what the next step is for them, tying that back to their strategy and their larger aspiration. And then working on, you know, what's the rhythm and the system of execution? Because if I can get you into a rhythm and a system of execution that allows you to be able to make traction visibly, how do you know you had a good day on your strategy and on metrics and the things that are most meaningful to you in terms of your goals, then we can layer additional things into that. We're gonna go deeper then into strategy, or you might discover as you get deeper into um, understanding your strategies that your organization, right, structure might not be helping you and need to change, right? So you can start to peel the onion on the deeper considerations if you get that basic rhythm down. So if you wanna think about it in a you know, in a athletic metaphor, start with a basic playbook around <laughs> all the different kinds of plays, but you gotta start with the basic playbook and then you can layer in more richness as you build the capacity and the need to do it.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And one thing you are helpful with is like, like when we're starting out, I feel like I was kind of doing people and strategy a little bit in tandem because I was identifying, do I have the right people? And then also those missing pieces as we're like trying to figure out what is that next hire and what is the true impact it has on what we're trying to do. And the strategy part is... It's funny because even mature companies, I would question if they truly have it locked down in a way where they know that unique point of differentiation. Cause even with us as a, a growth agency, it's like, okay, where do we plant our flag where we're better than everybody else that's out there? Is it by industry? Is it by stage of like their their growth? Is it by tools they're using? And then, you know, how we can really lean into that. And just now I think we're getting into the execution as far as okay we we feel kind of good about the people and the strategy but like like you said what is that cadence that meeting rhythm to deliver on it but, but yeah it's 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 super overwhelming that's why i think having someone like you help kind of hold someone hold the company's hand going through it is, is instrumental like wh- where do most people stumble like what are some like common mistakes you see where it's like okay watch out for that if you're trying to implement this
0: yeah let me say a couple things and then we'll we'll get back to specifically about you know stumble so maybe a different way would be you know what are the things that when people start down the path that you know often they find sort of sticky spots and what i would say is back to the idea from a leadership perspective depending on where you're coming from what you may be finding is that you're you're making a shift you're making a shift to step out of your business to work on your business and depending on how deeply enmeshed you are in your business, there's always going to be that pull, right? Because I, I got stuff to do. I got to go make this happen. And so part of it is becoming right committed to and comfortable maybe to, you know, not quite the right word, but the practice of working on on the business and recognizing that just like starting something new in terms of a, a practice, it will take time before the practice feels like it is you know smoothly working for you so for example one of the first things to do often you know with respect to getting into working in the scaling up model is to have a rhythm of your business right is to have a cadence of you know daily weekly monthly quarterly meetings the scaling up speaks to them about huddles for example daily huddles but the point is specific times when you're communicating and stepping out of the business to work on it and the tendency sometimes is right, to get a little impatient with the work that happens in those another one that that comes up often is you know can we get a handle on the metrics the measures the the numbers that we you know we need to be looking at uh, to drive the business you mentioned OKRs in in organizations that use objectives and key results as a methodology to take their strategic intent and put it into action in terms of clear objectives and an associated set of results and then move those through the organization and part of the the work is to actually ask the question how do we know how do we know we've gotten the result right and that gets into what are the right things to measure and how do we look at them on an ongoing basis and do we have the data and the you know the discipline to do that so the stumbling sometimes is wanting to have it all happen at once instead of taking it progressively Right. Get clear on your priorities, have a sense of your strategy and your vision, make sure you're clear on your organizational accountabilities and get into a rhythm of execution.
1: I totally agree. And what was helpful for me was because this started off where you and I were doing one-on-one sessions. But once I knew I wanted to get into this, I started bringing in our entire team. We had you sit on some OKRs. And Because I think a lot of like executives or CEOs or founders, they put a lot of pressure like, I've got to be the rainmaker. I got to be the one that always has the vision, has the brilliant idea. And if you are hiring the right people and you're not bringing, in, bringing them into these conversations, I think you're really holding yourself back. I, I don't know if that's something that, that, that you agree with, but for me, that, that's been huge, not just to let them know what's going on, but to really help them inform some of the, the vision and some of the goals. Absolutely, Jimmy. You
0: know, that's one of those internal shifts going from being, you know, I, it was my idea. I started this. I've been involved in every aspect of this business and it, in a way letting go but letting go with confidence right so if you look at one of the different literature might call them a passage or a growth stage when you're growing through you know i'm the center and i do a lot to right i'm starting to lead and lead my system part of it is mm-hmm. is, is delegating with confidence right letting go with confidence and competence is in you we have a way of qualifying the right people in the right places we know we can have the conversations we need to have and we have a way of assessing the way that we agree with whether or not we're making progress toward that. And so that's just a huge right accelerant from a leadership perspective is to be able to bring the right team around you. And back to the idea of you know, where our identity is as leaders, be able to even delegate or hand off things that you're really good at. I work with one CEO and he was a phenomenal marketer. <laughs> And at a point, he had to let go of the marketing, right? So it's easy to let go of the things and get other people to do things that maybe you're less good at or you don't like to do. It's a lot harder to let go of the things that, you know, you are good at and you like to do.
1: Yeah, I'm still struggling letting go of the stuff that I don't want to do, but I think that's an execution and process issue. There's the quote that the strength of the CEO is the weakness of the company. What point does that become a real issue? You know, is that when you need to, to fire yourself from specific tasks? Because what, one thing that I'm even trying to do is understand, okay, I'm, I'm this quote unquote leader, the CEO, where should my time be work and have the biggest ROI? And then, you know, how do I think about firing myself from different things?
0: Sure. And ask yourself, not just what are you doing, but why are you doing it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to that motivation. Are you doing it because you're fearful that if you don't do it, it won't get done or it won't get done right? Right. So a good question to ask yourself is, or what are the things that, that really only I can do? And or what are the most highly valuable things in that regard? The promise of scaling up or the promise of even beyond scaling up, having agency in your leadership capacity is that you can expand your scope of impact, right? And influence more broadly by being creative and influential through others. And so it becomes then your focus to look at your system and say, you know, are the right people in the right places? Are we having the right conversations? Which conversations need attention now? And having the capacity in yourself to hold those conversations so you address whatever the immediate thing is, right? And you also address how you mature your system and the people around you. And that's the way you grow in your capacity to to increasingly do and accomplish bigger things over time.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense, especially when you're wanting people to level up and start to take that ownership role of decision maker rather than order taker and, and get to that next level.
0: Yeah. And being clear about decisions, right? You, again, the tact is to just be explicit and bring about awareness. Hey, here's how I think about these decisions. Here's the ones that I want to be deeply involved in. And we need to have a longer discussion about because they matter the most. I want to get broad perspective. And then here's the ones that you get to make and you can tell me about it later.
1: Yeah. This is awesome. And I want to hit at the very end on like resources people can hit on with, with scaling up and executive training. So the last thing I want to do is, so the old idea is like if I was starting today, so I also want to end with some kind of half-baked ideas. So I'd love to hear any you have, but I have thought of some that are tailored to you. So here's what I got. And you can tell me, we can riff on it. I like like to have two frameworks for ideas. One is let's act like it's a brilliant idea and it'll work if this. And then the second is let's totally rip it to shreds and be like, this is why it's a bad idea. So we'll go optimistic first. So I'll I'll rattle them off. So actually, the first one is I think, so there's this idea of productized services where it is essentially packaging up a service like a product that you can sell sell kind of at scale. So like uh, an obvious example is 99designs where you're doing like package design work. So here's my, here's my brilliant idea. I think you should have a productized service around scaling up where you're essentially like an outsource executive coach, exa- outsource chairman of the board, but your deliverables are aligned with the scaling up deliverables of the one-page strategic plan, Rockefeller habits, the accountability charts, but you're not doing it. You're training people to do it, but you're just a deliverable and marketing machine churning people through it. So boom, there's one idea. What do we think?
0: So I like it. I like the productized service idea. I, that's a part of my history. I'm actually in the process of doing that in a separate business venture with respect to objectives and key results, you know, building some package training and some enablement resources that could be put to scale. So yeah, for me, their balance is between wanting to be engaged, you know, with people in enough of a place where we can have a relationship, where we can work on some of the things that maybe go deeper for people around their personal growth, you know, versus, and again, it's not an either or versus, you know, here's the, here's the package formula, you know, do the formula.
1: Totally. It's, it's almost a tripwire or a legion for more of the customized deeper work that you do with, with some of your, your big corporate clients or even kind of some of the stuff you do with us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love the, we, you know, we can talk more about what is another way. I love the optimistic, you know, pessimistic, but well, this is a way of thinking about it, but rewind the tape and say, what would that have been like for you, right, if I had had something like that when we first met? I, back to using resources in your life, you know this person, but I, I, I have someone on my virtual team who's a marketing, marketeer, and that individual has been encouraging me to do that kind of thing for a while. And I do recognize from our experience and others that part of what I you know, bring to the party, you were talking about, you know, what do you what do you gain by having an executive coach, you know, is I'm a learner, and and I have had a lot of reps in a lot of different situations. So often, you know, what I'm doing for my clients is bringing them something that's, you know, to use the phrase contextual, contextually meaningful to them in what they're dealing with at the moment, and sort of bringing forth a resource a way to think about it and you know that's why if we were on video you would see in my office is just (laughs) wall-to-wall books and a big whiteboard
1: yeah and most people have those books but i question if they've read them but because you have so many reference points i I believe you if you were to say you've read all of them. So yeah, yeah, people need to see your office, which okay, this leads to my my third and final idea, which I think is gonna be a curveball and it's going to surprise you. So if people go to your website, they're gonna see a video and it's a great job showcasing you and what you've done, but more impressive, there's two things. It's like a, a PSA for living in the Pacific Northwest and Bainbridge Island. It's honestly it should be like a tourism video because it shows of going from Seattle to Bainbridge on the beautiful 20 minute ferry ride, which by the way, is like the best cheap tourist thing to do because it's such a nice ride when you're going through the Sound up to Bainbridge Island but then they go to your office and people don't realize you actually built that structure and you do a lot of woodwork. So so here's the idea. We're now in a world where more people are working from home. So they're going to be spending more investing more on their remote workspace. And I'm seeing that now some perks that people are giving you is like a budget to kind of like pimp out your home office. I think you should make cuz I believe you've made the desk in your office, custom executive tables from an executive coach that are kind of You know, made for a specific office. So we go super premium. We launch a Shopify site. We charge four figures for these tables and they're from the Pacific Northwest. And obviously with the cash conversion cycle, we're going to have them pay up front. So we don't have any issues with labor. But I I think the natural issue is where do we get the lumber? Uh, And you are a busy man. It might be hard for you to turn out a lot of these tables, but we'll go optimistic on, on our thoughts around that idea first.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, no, that's another good one, Jim. I hadn't thought about it quite that way. It is a passion of mine. What you don't see in my office is I have a portable car carrier. We have several acres of property on another part of my property where I have you know several thousand board feet of lumber that has been their stock that's been taken from a tree on our property of which I made some of the furniture in my office, and I've actually made made conference tables for other people in, in different settings. But I, it's just the idea. What I love about that is the idea that, you know, just making, just like you're making your leadership, making your company, you know, your team uniquely yours, right? There are patterns making the space uniquely yours and being able to combine functionality with with beauty is a good thing.
1: Yeah. And I think we got to figure out how to make these desks where it's like, you can have your dual monitors. Maybe there's a section for like your five-hour executive journal or whatever it would be, I think. We might run into some issues with, I don't know how long it takes you to do all that, but it seems like it's not a quick quick project.
0: Uh, It'll take a little bit of time.
1: (laughs) For sure. Well, cool. Well, I don't know if you have any burning ideas, but those were the three that I had for you. Yeah, I like them, Jim. I mean, I thought
0: about the things that I think about for for myself in terms of startup ideas are you know really about how to bring more people like with your idea about, you know, resources. I think about navigating being a former navy person and this idea of, you know, what, what are the what are the ways in which you can navigate life and leadership in a way that is compelling and satisfying and and sort of uniquely yours. And then that idea, of, you know, system and, you know, creating an environment that you can enjoy functionally, right, the things that appeal to me and brands are things that are functionally excellent at what they're for, but also are sort of beautiful and engaging as well. And so that's how I kind of meld, you know, woodworking and, and that sort of more hand-oriented, craft-oriented element into Right. You know, doing doing this work as an executive and leadership coach and strategic advisor.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So if, if people want to like know about more about you and, and everything that you're doing, where where should they go?
0: Yeah, Futurity uh, dot com. The, the site that you refer to is is my site. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me. I'm not super active on Twitter, but you can find me on Futurity Res on Twitter, the business Twitter uh, handle. And, you know, people who want to have a conversation that, you know, I'd love to connect and, you know, have have conversations. Futurity was named what it is not, you know, sort of Rick Maguire brand is really what futurity means is as some as a, a time in the future when, you know, something that you aspire to or desire, you know, is there and fulfilled, right? Things are as they should be. And that's really my aspiration is, is to help people and organizations achieve more of what they aspire to create in the future that's meaningful to them. So, yeah.
1: That's awesome. Well, well, Rick, thanks again for the time, and I really appreciate it. Yep, you bet, Jim. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money, but I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growth Hit has perfected a growth process that's hell bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So, if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen and Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketers Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture backed startups and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So, instead of a hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.